Okay. I am going to carry on talking about choices and battles, and we're going to do this this week and then maybe next week or the week after, one of those two things. Um, so two weeks ago, I talked about seeing ourselves as we really are, as overcomers and as our challenges disarmed from Colossians 2 verse 15. Remember we had Nigel up here and we had Matt up here and we got to watch Matt getting beat up, it was great. Uh, I enjoyed it anyway. And um, last week I was trying to help you see that you have a choice. That in everything, pretty much, you have a choice. And that your thought life is central to the choices you make. Nowhere are you more empowered or more enabled to make decisions than over your own life. Even a, even a slave can choose what they think. Even if you have all your external choices taken away, uh, the vast majority of people are able to choose exactly what they think when they think it. So some people struggle with mental illness that makes it difficult, but the vast majority of people are able to uh, have power over their own thoughts. God gave you a will and ability to choose. And we said that one of the key principles of walking in the victory of Jesus is the acceptance of the fact that you have a choice. That you have some measure of authority over your own will and your own decisions. Because at some fundamental level, if we don't believe we have a choice, we're defeated before we've even started. So if we don't believe we've got a choice in anything, well, we may as well not start. Which is why I started where I started. Of course, whether you use that power and authority is entirely up to you. But you have the authority and the power to make any choices you like. You can quit your job tomorrow morning if you want. You can walk in there and quit. You might not because you worry about how the bills will be paid. But that's a choice you made. You could walk in and you could uh, start a relationship or end a relationship tomorrow. You can do, you've got choices all around you. And sometimes those choices are rightly constrained by love, but you have a choice in all sorts of things. And often we kind of think we don't, but actually we do. And most of the time, you know, in terms of the job one, lots of people don't like what they do, but they never actually quit because they're too scared of what might happen. So they have a choice, but they choose to allow fear to rule that choice. That's really what goes on in those situations. You can be the person that you want to be. You can be that person. I'm glad I got a big amen on that one. You can be the person that you want to be. There are hurdles that need to be overcome. There are mountains that need to be climbed. And no one other than you can climb them for you, although there are plenty of people who will climb them with you. But the only person stopping you changing your thoughts and therefore your behaviour is you. And to a lot of people that sounds really harsh. And, And maybe it is, but it's actually also true. It's the truth. In the end of the day... Because, as I showed you last week, what you think determines how you act. You can't always choose what goes on in our minds, because much of it was formed as a child and and when we're ignorant of things. But you can choose what stays in there and what goes in there now. Very often we are a little, well no, we are entirely ignorant of what's in our minds. I've heard so many people go, well I just don't know what goes on in my head. Well, I understand that, but you also have responsibility to work out what goes on in your head, which is always possible. I've seen tons of people go from, I don't know what goes on in there, to being really clear about what goes on in there. Fair being a prime example. She didn't have a clue what, she'd go, I don't know. I don't know what I'm thinking, I don't really know what I'm feeling. But over time, she learned 
to understand, she learned to process, she learned to share, she learned to, and now she's brilliant at it. And I've seen other people too. You see, your mind, we said last week, it's your operating system, it's how you think and you react. And it's literally burned onto your physical brain, as it were, primarily during our childhood, but also into adulthood. And as you're growing up and all through your life, you learn to live life to the best of your ability. And as it got modelled from around you. So you looked at people around you and went, I like, I like that way of living life, or I don't like that way of living life, so I'm going to live this way of living life. And you cope the best way you could. That's what everybody does. Which is why you can have compassion on everybody. Because all anybody is doing is living life the best way they know how or how they've been shown. That's what everybody's doing. If nobody had anybody to show them about self-discipline, if nobody had anybody to show them what it meant to be loved, then how are they meant to know how to be loved? They care. They care. When you understand this stuff, it's not hard to move in compassion towards people because you understand they're just living life the best way they can. Trying to, trying to muddle through the best they possibly can. Which is what we all do. It's just we've actually learned a few keys from Jesus that help us do more than muddle through. Which is a beautiful thing. And of course, we, this is our kind of key verse. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Paul knew there was a way to be transformed, to become radically different. It would happen in our mind, in our thought life. And Solomon knew that two and a half thousand years before Paul wrote it, as he thinks within himself, so he is. Which is an incredibly powerful and liberating statement because it means, once again, you are not at the mercy of your past. You are not at the mercy of your future. You are not at the mercy of your present. You are not at the mercy of your hormones or your finances or your friends or your house or where you live or where you might live. You are at the mercy of your mind, which is yours, which you can regain complete control over. It's a beautiful statement because it means that you're not a victim anymore. You're not a victim anymore. You may have suffered some terrible things, but you don't need to be a victim of those things because you have the one thing that means you can get out of there which is an incredibly beautiful thing. Okay, confession time. I hear voices, and so do you. Sometimes there are whole arguments that go on in my head, often about the most bizarre things, and often it's as real as two people having a conversation. And I know it's not just me. Of course, I don't, I don't physically hear the voice. Although a small percentage of people, people do, but I don't physically hear the voice. But there are these arguments that go on in my head. And they're not, they're not physical, but just as the voice of God, I've never heard the voice of God physically. I've never heard an audible sound of the voice of God. And if I do, that doesn't mean I'm any better or any worse than anybody else. It just means I've not heard that. But I have heard the voice of God many, many times. And it comes as an internal voice, which we also call a thought, doesn't it? That's how it comes. When we, hear, when we say God spoke to us, we don't mean like this being came down and whispered sound waves into our ear. We mean we had a thought. We sense something, we pick something up. It's a thought, isn't it? But you have lots of other thoughts as well, don't you? And sometimes it does sound like there's these arguments going on in your head about all sorts of things. And I share it because 
Because every one of us has these thoughts, and for many of us, when we listen to them, they don't make all that much sense. Because sometimes it's like, it's like you're sat in a pub with 15 people all talking across each other. Isn't it? It's okay, you can laugh, it's okay, I know it's true, because I know me, and I've read more than enough things. In fact, this, maybe let's see if we can, I think this is what it might sound like. Have we got this thing on? Isn't this what it feels like? There's a thought in there somewhere. Anybody feeling it? It's true, isn't it? Yeah. It's like there's all this stuff going on. It's like you're trying to tune in and it's like, oh, it's just like there's all sorts going on. But if our thought life is so important to living well, which it is, there is a need to discern and attune in. To actually be attuning to certain things and tune out of certain things. To understand what the heck is going on in here. Only when we do that, when we learn to tune in, can we start filtering them and process them and dealing with them. You see, when you said yes to Jesus, you received a new heart, but you didn't receive a new mind. And although your heart's been renewed, your mind has not. So your work now is to renew your mind, just like Paul said in Romans. It's really hard for some people to grasp, but it's vital, because if you don't take responsibility for your mind, you cannot get into your future. I think it's impossible to get into your full future and experience the full life that Jesus has got to offer without understanding what goes on in your head. You see... We, lots of us kind of, we, we know there's this fog in there and we don't like to admit to it. But it's a bit like if you're in financial difficulty and you don't admit to it, it just gets worse. It just carries on getting worse. And, and the other thing is, some of the things we know are in there but we didn't admit to because we're scared about it. And we think we're the only person that's thinking it. It's not true, all right? I am yet to hear an original thought. No, honestly, I'm yet to hear anybody tell me anything original in the sense that I've not already heard it from somebody else. Honestly, there are no original thoughts. There's nothing that you think about in your deepest, darkest moments that is original. It is common to mankind. That's the reality. You think it's unique to you, when you think it's just about you, when you think you're the most terrible person in the world, but the reality is it's just a complete and utter lie. Honestly, they're in, it's just not original. The key thing is, I was, a number of years ago, I had to ring up a couple of credit card companies because I basically couldn't afford to pay it. And of course, for a while, you don't want to do it. If you've ever been in that situation, you... You feel like a failure, especially as a husband. You feel like 
you just feel a failure, basically. So you don't want to do it. So you put it off, and you put it off, and you put it off, and you put it off. Eventually, you ring them up. And when you do ring them up, you find that instantly there's a solution. Instantly there's a solution. Because instantly they go, okay, Mr. Carver, thank you for ringing us first before we chased you. Always brownie points. Always brownie Honestly, with everything, if you, you fess up first, it always goes better. Better to fess up than be found out. Oh, really? That's good, then. I? I just made that up. Better to fess up than be found out. Now, honestly, honestly, it's true, though. It's true, isn't it? Much better fess up than be found out. So they went, okay, yeah, that's good, Mr. Kevin. They instantly, like, stopped the interest, made it a thought. Suddenly, it's like, oh, this is what I've realized. Where is it? It stops becoming a problem when we admit it is a problem. It stops becoming a problem when we admit that it's a problem. Because as soon as you admit it's a problem, you can find a solution. And a solution can present itself. But if we're not admitting it's a problem, we can't find a solution because nobody knows there's a solution to be found for a problem. It stops becoming a problem when we admit it is a problem. And we all, have, we all have problems in our thinking. All of us. None of us are yet thinking like Jesus. So we're all in the same boat. And what we do is, because, because we've not yet learned to think like Jesus thought and to think like God thinks, it means we've learned to cope with life in all sorts of different ways, which are basically not godly and they're not good. And psychologists call these defense mechanisms. And I'm going to share some with you. These are the ways that people deal with life to try and get through life. So some people go into denial. They refuse to face the truth. They pretend it doesn't exist. They say it's not real. They minimize it. Other people go into fantasy. They escape from the real world. So they do that by computer games, books, uh, sci-fi, fantasy TV. They kind of escape into all these different ways because they want to escape from the reality of it. Some people emotionally insulate themselves. That means they, kinda, they don't really make friendships for fear of those friendships being broken and fear of rejection, so they never give themselves to anybody. Some people regress, they kind of go back to less threatening times. Some people take out the frustrations on other people. Some people blame everybody else. Some people make excuses. They're all different ways that we learn to deal with life. And it's a great list because you can actually ask yourself, okay, do I do any of those things? Because if you do, and you will, because you're a human being who's not yet learned to be like Jesus, that tells you ways in which you're not yet thinking like Jesus. There are, these are all, they're all defense mechanisms that basically, they put a shield around you to protect yourself. But the thing is, within this protective wall that we put around us is all the pain that we carry. And so what, all you actually do is protect the pain. You think you're protecting you, but you build a wall up around the actual pain. And Jesus can't get past that wall. Which is why, when you actually become th when you understand things like vulnerability and accountability, those walls come down, which feels painful, but actually is the only way to receive real healing. Because once you step back into these things, Jesus can't touch the pain. Because you've built a wall around it. 
But when you break that wall down, Jesus can come in and actually heal that pain and restore you, which is what's so wonderful about Jesus. So we could say this, the greatest enemy is in your own head. That's the enemy. The enemy is not your friend. The enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is not the bank manager. The enemy is not your hormones. The enemy is not anybody else. It's not your kids. It's not your parents. The enemy is in your head. And when you read, when you read the Old Testament now, when I read the Old Testament and I think about, you know, it often talks about I'll, I'll battle my enemies and defeat my enemies. I think of it about my own thoughts. Because it's not helpful to think of it as your neighbour who's, you know, built a big fence that you don't like or whatever it is. He's not your enemy, okay? When it talks about destroying my enemies and will you come down hard on my enemies, I'm going, yeah, that's what I want God to do on my thoughts that don't line up to Jesus. Because it's internal to me, it's not external. It's not about all this out there, it's about this stuff in here. There is a fight against thought patterns you have learned that are contrary to the word of God. And of course, some of them have come in there because you have willingly done some things. Others, others of them are in there because of, you went through this thing called life. It's called life and it happens. And it's rubbish a lot of the time. But wh however it got there is not really the issue. The issue is you have the power to move it and change it. And you can, you can kind of go, well, it's here because of this, it's here because of this. Well, it's, it's pretty much irrelevant. It's there. It's not irrelevant in, in that sense, really, because it, it's relevant to how you actually get free. But what I mean is it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is not what happened to get you here. It's the fact that you are here and where we're going to go next. That's the most important thing. So the first step is this fight, in this fight is to create some space to actually listen to what's going on. And, and it's, all, it's almost like learning to tune the radio in. I know we don't do that now, we dab radios, but like it's, it's turning the dial and go, where, where, what is going on? But it's like, because we've not learned, nor have we made time to tune into our thoughts, we've not created time to ponder and to consider. We fill all our time up. Music, TV, reading, social media, we, it's all full. But actually, we've got to create space. There's got to be some space. Many of us have fallen for this lie. We need to relax and engage in some form of recreation. But recreation means recreate. That's the whole point of recreation, to recreate something. And of course, there's a time to relax. There's a time to enjoy music and TV and films and books and music. There's a time to enjoy all that. But if you don't recreate something in you, it's not recreation. It's just relaxation. And your body needs it, of course. But you need, you need relaxation and you need recreation. You need some times and some moments when you're able to recreate what's going on. And it's amazing. I read an article just yesterday of how your words can actually reprogram your physical DNA. I didn't understand much of it, but I liked the headline. <laughs> I need to read it a few more times yet. But I'm like, these Russian scientists, most scientists focus on like 10% of your DNA. These, and, and they reckon the other 90% is not really worth much. These Russians went, we're going to look at the 90% that everybody says is dump DNA and look at that. And they found that it actually changed depending on, the, on what was spoken. How cool is that? And it's, it's, you know, we've, we've known about neural pathways and speaking and the power of it for ages, but it actually can literally change the DNA in your body. Somewhere else. Okay, 
Real recreation is learning to be still and learning to listen and then dealing with them because then you recreate something. Of course, that is not all restful. It's not restful. It's tiring. It's hard work. That's why most people do it. It's extremely difficult. Because it, but what happens is if you don't do it, you are destined to that life of like trying to tune in and never really understanding what's going on. So we've got to ask a question. What time have you made to listen to the voices, to learn to tune into those thoughts? What time have you made for it? Because if you've not made any time for it, it will happen. And of course, people do that in different ways. Many people find that writing down what they are thinking is helpful. And this is what happens with me all the time. At first I go, I'm not sure I've got much to write in my journal today. And then I start writing. And five pages later, I'm still writing. And I'm going, what happened there? Oh yeah, but the physical act of just writing it causes it to flow. And there's something, I was sharing this in, in Perspectives last Sunday about technology. There's something powerful about what happened when we became a literate culture and started to write was we, we allowed ourselves to be observers of our own selves. So, so the ability to write it means you step out of yourself and can look at yourself from an like, external perspective, if that makes sense. That's why it's so powerful. It allows you to look at it. Now, of course, some people go, oh, right, and I'm just, just, I can't do it. And I understand that. Not everybody can do it. So, some people find they need to, they need somebody to talk with them. They need somebody to help them, tease it out of them. They need somebody to just ask them some searching questions and just listen. They need a good listener. They'll give them space to share and has learned to ask searching questions. Regardless of the method, there's one key requirement which is a commitment to put in the time and effort. Because you, you can become the person you want to be. You can conquer all those fears, all those anxieties, all those things from your past that you wish had never happened and you feel this, that and the other about. They're all conquerable. Honestly, every single one of them is conquerable. I'm assured of it completely. But it will take some time and some effort. So, lastly, I want to talk about once we've identified some sort of thought, how, how do we know whether it's good or bad? How do we know whether it's positive or negative? Because not everything is very clear in here, is it, in one sense? Not every thought we have is written down as like, yeah, this is a good one. We have all sorts of thoughts that are expressly in here. They are in there, they're just not expressly in there. They're just not clearly in there. Well, a good place to start is this. No, before I do that, Sometimes I talk about how reading the Bible and praying and going to meetings will of itself change you. And it's true. But I also want to be really clear that without those things you won't get changed either. So, so I don't ever want you to say that Adam says I don't have to read my Bible. No, I just say that reading it on its own might not bring the change you want. Although it might do because the Holy Spirit might just suddenly kind of do something in you. Which is why it's worth doing. You never know when you might suddenly just... There's been times I've been reading, I'm like, flipping heck, I've read that verse a million times, but it means something else today. And I've just, nobody else has been involved. Just, just The Bible and the Holy Spirit, wow, sets it alight. But the other reason you need to read it is because you're trying to be like a person. Well, how do you know what it looks like unless you've read about him? How do you know what his heart's like unless you've read about him? You can come here and listen to me or somebody else for half an hour and maybe go to a life group, but... That's not going to be enough to really get to know somebody, to understand somebody, to grasp somebody's heart. 
So we could go here. Philippians chapter 4. Fix your thoughts. Your thoughts on what is true and honourable, right and pure, lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. We're often trying and tempted to not think about the negative things. But that don't work. As soon as I tell you not to think about the pink elephant on the balcony, you're all thinking about the pink elephant on the balcony. There's not one there, it's okay. Handsome Leon is up there, but not a pink elephant. So trying not to think about the negative stuff don't work. Because you just end up thinking about it more. You go, I'm not going to think about it, not going to think about it. Well, what are you doing? You're just thinking about it. It don't work. So, we've got to fix our thoughts on the positive. On what's true and honourable, right and pure, lovely and admirable. Anything that lines up with those things is good. But there's another test we can use as well, which we call the general's will. Because God is the general of the heavenly army, but he also has a, a general will. A will that he wants to happen all the time. So sometimes he's after specific things, but he's always after general things. Things that he always wants everywhere that he goes and everywhere that he is. It's what Father wants everywhere on the face of the earth. And it's all these sorts of things. And we've used this many times. This is a great tool when you're praying. Because if you're not sure how to pray, well, you can pray the, the, the general will of God, which is all this sort of stuff. You can pray compassion and joy and mercy and grace and faithfulness and boldness and wholeness. So then you've got to ask, okay, when, you, when you're aware of these thoughts, you're going, okay, is it, is it honourable? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it something I'd love to stand up and tell everybody I was thinking? Is it, would it bring delight to everybody that I know when I shared it with them? Or does it bring protection, life, healing, restoration, wholeness, joy, peace? Because that means it's filled with the heart of God. If it brings those things, it's automatically filled with the heart of God. And you already have some of those thoughts. You do. Because the Spirit of God's in you. You think good things. It's not all bad. Much of it is good and beautiful. In fact, I think the majority of our thought life is good and beautiful. Because yeah. you were saved and you were redeemed. Yeah. Of course, there's some of it that needs to be transformed. But we're led to believe that most of it is just terrible. No, most of it's good. When you're going to work and you work hard, that's beautiful. When you think about anybody else, that's beautiful. When you make somebody a cup of tea, that's beautiful because it's the heart of God. Whenever you do anything for anybody else, it's a beautiful thing. Of course, you might have a little bit of mixed motives, but God will deal with them. It's all right. The more you think about it, the more you'll realize those mixed motives. Mixed motives. Notice as well. He says, let's go back to Philippians. Keep putting into practice. This is not a one-time thing. He writes in the present continuous. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received Everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. In other words, it's a daily, continual process of putting into place what Paul had shared with them, which we'll look at in more detail another Sunday. But it's an important point to note. Keep putting into practice. Keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Not just once. Not just because Adam's talked about it this week, but actually all the time. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard me do and saw me doing. So Paul had modelled it to them. He'd modelled it, he'd been, he'd been with them, he'd fathered them, he'd modelled it to him, which is exactly what you get. But when I teach about some specific practical ways to become like Jesus, I'm always amazed at how many people want to reinvent the wheel. They want to do it their way. 
They spend months debating with themselves and looking for another way because, well, I don't really know why. Maybe they're just too proud to follow an instruction or maybe they just don't like the way that has been shared with them. But there is great power in submission. There is great power in seeing an issue, being told a solution and getting on and doing it, even if it might not be your preferred way. Because God loves it when people flow in submission with those around them. I find that some people refuse to do it the suggested way because they want to find a way that works for them. But they never find a way and therefore never do anything about it. All the while allowing time to tick by when they could have been dealing with it. You see, you have to understand, if you say, well that won't work for me, or I couldn't do it that way, but don't spend time finding another way that works, you are going to be stuck. Your pride and your stubbornness is exposed in excuses that stop you from changing. And what's fascinating, I've, I've seen so many fascinating things about instruction lately, and seeing the miraculous power of God come through when instructions followed. Often, the prescription, if you like, that's given for breakthrough isn't the issue. So if you were sharing with somebody and you're sharing and they go, well, maybe you should do this. What they, what they suggest you should do is not really very important. In this, other than that you should do it. But what I mean by that is, it's not the prescription that gets the breakthrough. It's the faith, the obedience and the submission that allows the miraculous power of God to flow through it. Yeah. And I, I, I had this a little while ago. We've been trying to remortgage our house. Well, we tried back in October, November time. And everybody told me it wasn't possible, all sorts of reasons. Everybody told me it just wasn't possible. And I went, okay, all right. So I spoke to like six, seven people about it. Oh, do it this way, do it this way. At one point it was possible. The next day the rules changed and it wasn't possible. It was just a nightmare. And then I found this one lady. And she said, it is possible, Adam. But this is what you've got to do. You've got to do this specific thing. You've got to, little days has got to pay for this much money on this day and do it three times. I went, okay. So I'm listening and I'm thinking, well, in my head I'm going, little days can't afford to pay for that much money. But I went, of course, I'll do it. Now that right there is called F-A-I-T-H, faith. I had no way to do it whatsoever when I'm on, I don't know why I'm still holding this here. I had no, <laughs> I, I, I had no way, it was impossible according to what I saw in the books to do what she asked me to do, but I went, it's okay, I'll do it. I'll find a way. And of course, I did find a way. I did find a way, because there's always a way. That's what you have to know, there's always a way. But first of all, you have to agree to there being a way. And you have to have faith that there might be a way. But I found a way. But honestly, there was, there was no way <laughs> when I said it to her. And I found a way to do it 25% more than what she said. And I rang her up, she went, okay, Adam, well, so, anyway, I rang her, there, was, there were time scales involved and tax years and tax returns and all that joy. She said, I'll call you in the middle of April. I said, no, you can call me soon, it'll be done before then. She went, okay. So like the 7th of April, my tax return went in like the day after the end of the tax year. Normally it's like the day before I'm meant to have it in. It's like <laughs> quick as devil. Anyways, she went, Adam, nobody has ever followed an instruction I've given them to the letter like you just did. But I will make sure this goes through no matter what. And she did. And then she went to go on holiday. She came into work twice on her annual leave just to sort it out for me. Why is that? 
It's because they were an instruction. And I put faith in it. And then I did it. And what eight or nine other financial advisors said was not possible, she did. Yeah. But it would have been easy, wouldn't it, to go, I can't do that. I can't afford to do that. But I didn't. I went, okay. I didn't question her. I just went, okay, I'm doing it. Because I understand when somebody gives me an instruction to get me into my future, all I've got to do is do that instruction. Yeah. And I'll find a way, no matter what. Yeah. And I, honestly, this last, this last few months, I have seen some incredible, and I mean mind-blowing breakthroughs. Mind-blowing breakthroughs in people who had an instruction and followed it. And at the time they got the instruction, they went, I don't think I can do that. It took them a little while, but they did it. But man, goodness, the miraculous power of God came through. And bang, incredible. But first of all, you've got to know, what is that thought? And before that, you've got to have made time to tune into it. And then you've got to share it with somebody. And then you've got to listen. I tell you, this stuff works. I'm seeing it more powerfully than I've ever seen it before. In every area of life, every area of life it works. It's so powerful. But I want to encourage you. Because we all want a miracle breakthrough by coming to the front of somebody praying for us. Well, they happen too. But to be honest, less so. Because God wants you to grow up. He wants you to become mature. Growing up in him and growing into him. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to know what goes on. And so I want to encourage you. We've got to learn to make space. That might be writing it down. It might be listening. And at first, of course. So now I realise. I realise I am like super clear now pretty much on what goes on in my head. And some of that is because of how I'm built. I understand that. Some of it is because of the hard work I've put in. Other people are not that clear. That's fine. It's okay. But you can become clear. I've seen it in many different people. You can become clear. But you've got to give some time to it. You've got to be focused with it. And you've got to be committed to it. But when you do that, honestly, the life of God that flows is just incredible. Yeah. And, and many of you can testify, can't you? Many of you can testify yeah. that when you've done this stuff, God changes stuff, God moves. Yeah. But it's like we've got to, what does it say? Keep putting it into practice. You see, most of us, we get a victory and then we, then we just want to rest in it a little while. You know, but come on. Your victory is to give you enthusiasm for the next battle. It's not just to have a rest. All right? The point of the victory, the point of the woohoo, is to give you the woohoo to go, right, let's go fight something else now then. It's not to sit down on your sofa and have a rest. You ain't got time to rest. People need you. People need the life of God that's going to flow through you. You are needed. Yeah. You are needed all, all around this city yeah. and this world. It needs people who have got the love of God in them and who have understood what they are, who they are, and can give it out in a beautiful way. Yeah. Don't it? Yes. And you are those people because you're already doing it, but there's more. Yeah. There's more. There's more clarity. And there's more miraculous power to flow when you do it. Honestly, I'm absolutely assured of it. I, I don't think I've... Well, I haven't ever been more assured of... In fact... I received word of the, the mortgage going through whilst I was away in Paraguay. 
And something else happened that were wonderful as well. And I, I went back to my hotel room and just spent some time thanking Jesus because it would just be beautiful. And I felt like he said to me, this is just the start of some breakthroughs. It's not the end. And it's not just for you, it's for everybody. But, but, there's a process. But honestly, I, just, and I feel it even stronger now. There's breakthroughs available. Real, proper, full-on breakthroughs available. But there's a process. There's a process. And I'm, gonna, I, I'm not quite sure who's teaching next week, but if, at some point afterwards, I'm going to keep going. We're going to get into 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and just start talking some more about practically what it means to... Because some of those thoughts you have, they're strong, but they're not as strong as you. Yeah. That's what you've got. No, they're not as strong as you. And they can be demolished. Trust me, I've seen them demolished. I've seen them demolished. For a long time, I'm going to finish with this because I've been talking a little while. Over 10 years ago, it was, uh, it was one of the leadership team back then who came to me and said, oh, I can't remember what they said now. <laughs> That's not going to help you, is it? <laughs> what was it now? It's a really good testimony. <laughs> I can remember what it was all about. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's completely gone. Well, there you go. Next time. <laughs> Next time. It was all. That's it. I've got it. I've got it. This was it. This was it. Somebody said to me, he said, Adam, this is like 10 or 11 years ago. You have nothing to prove. And to me, that would have biggie. I mean, a massive, this idea that I had nothing to prove was huge. I thought I had everything to prove to everybody. And I remember, I put it in big letters on my, on my desk. I have nothing to prove. I realized, this probably six months ago, I thought, yeah, I don't. I realized that that one, I've actually, I think I've pretty much conquered that one now. I don't. Somebody said something to me. It were you, actually said something to me, and went, well, that were different. And I went, yeah, well, I'm just... But I realized that after constantly fighting this thing, and constantly hitting it, that now I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't. He loves me. He just loves me. He thinks I'm wonderful. I'm there this morning singing, well, trying to, singing like I just... He just thinks I'm ace. He sat on his royal throne just going, son, you're the best, I love you. Yes. But like, I, I never knew that. I was like, yeah, well, I will be the best when I do this and when I do that. And when I've got this side and that side and when I'm this and that. But you can do the same. Those things that you think have defined you. Those things that you think like are labels over your whole life or labels people have put on you. You can break them. Yeah. And it doesn't have to take you as long as it took me. It won't do. Because I had to learn lots through that. There were, there were lots more to it than that. But, but honestly, you, oh, it's like... That's what it's like. All right, come on, let's stand up, let's pray. Yeah. You've been sat down for too long, I'm sorry. Does anybody want to pray? Yep. I've talked a lot. Somebody else come and pray. Matt's coming to pray. Yeah. Excellent. I thought somebody might. Well done. I thought I hoped you would ask. Oh, good. Well, you should have just asked anyway. I got excited in my stomach 
when I was listening to those words. I know you all did too. Thank you, Father, that this is the truth about us. This is the truth about not who we might be, could be, should be, will be, if, X, Y, Z. This is the truth about who we are. When Adam said those words about our futures, our spirit went yes, and it agreed with you for a moment. We want it to agree with you more and more and more and more. And Lord, that is what we speak. We speak agreement and continued agreement between us. Father, we agree with you. We're your sons and daughters. We are your kids. And we agree with what dad says over us and speaks over us. And Father, I want you to help us. And you are dying to help us. You died to help us. You're not holding back keys, Father. You've given them to us. And we want to thank you for giving us the keys. Thank you for self-discipline. Thank you that that's a gift that we possess because the Spirit lives in us. It's not something we're searching externally for. It's a gift we already have. And Lord, we want to grow it. We want to learn. We want to learn instruction. We want to learn self-discipline. I want these things more and more and more. And we thank you and we celebrate every victory that we've already seen. We look back down the mountain and we thank you for where we are stood. But we thank you so much for the fullness of life that flows out of us when we get the truth that you have already put in us as a seed. We love it, Father, and we thank you for it. We claim it as ours in Jesus' name, and we will continue to do that after today. When the rub hits the road in normal life, normal days, we love you and we thank you, Lord, and we just seal that word in us, cause us to remember it. Thank you for it, Lord. And thank you for those around us that will see that come into fruition when we spend time with them. We are so blessed. I am so blessed. We love you and we thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Amen.